Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. The Peter Schiff Show. 30 years ago today, on July 26th, 1990, George Herbert Walker Bush signed the Americans with Disabilities Act, otherwise known as the ADA, into law. And like all bad laws, this law was conceived, at least in theory, with good intentions. And you know what they say about the road to hell It's paved with good intentions. And there's probably no better example than paving a road to hell than the Americans with Disability Act. The motivation, supposedly, for the act was to make it easier for people who had work-limiting disabilities to get a job. After all, uh, if people are not working because of a disability, but if there is some potential accommodation that employers could make that might enable these otherwise non-working disabled individuals to get into the workforce, then they can improve their lot in life, they can get the benefits of employment, and the economy would get the benefits of, of, of their efforts and their productivity. And of course, you know, there's always a, a movement on the left to uh, grant uh, special privileges uh, to people under the guise of civil rights. And here is another group of entitled Americans, right? Uh, Americans with disabilities. Uh, now they cannot be discriminated against. They must be uh, treated the same as everybody else. And, and therefore, we're going to require employers to accommodate disabled workers so they too will have the uh, ability uh, to get a job. And so employers will have to accommodate their disabilities because they have a right. uh, That's their civil right. Uh, Disabled people have a right to a job and therefore employers have a responsibility to make sure that they provide reasonable accommodations to allow the disabled to work. So that was the thinking. And if you go back to 1990, about 50 percent, maybe slightly more of the people who had work limiting Uh, disabilities were in the workforce. So the other half were uh, not working. And the idea was, let's get these guys, uh, you know, into the labor force. So they passed the American Disabilities Act, which basically required employers to make these accommodations. And it also empowered uh, individuals to file lawsuits 
against employers who fail to provide uh, the accommodations as provided by law. So what was the effect of this well-intentioned law? Well, as I said, in 1990, about 50% of the people, a little more, who had these disabilities had jobs. Today, that number has dropped to fewer than 20%. And in fact, almost immediately following the passage of the Americans with Disability Act, you saw a drop in employment among disabled individuals. And that decline has been steadily ongoing for the past 30 years. And it is not completely unrelated to the Americans with Disabilities Act. I mean, it's not just a random coincidence that Congress passes the Americans with Disabilities Act and then people with disabilities have a mass exodus from the workforce and now they, they, they can't find jobs. Yes, um, labor force participation has gone down in general for the entire population. So you might expect uh, disabled people to be caught up in that trend, but not to this degree. The degree to which disabled workers have left the workforce is much faster than the overall population. And it is a direct result of the Americans with Disabilities Act. You see, before the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed, you know, people who had disabilities, they were able to get jobs because employers right, recognized that they may have needed some special accommodations. And many employers were willingly providing those accommodations, not because they were required to by law, but because they just decided to do it. Either they thought um, the worker with the disability was the best person for the job, and they knew it would pay off if they made some upfront investments in uh, whatever kind of adaptions were needed to allow this qualified person uh, who just happens to have a disability to be able to uh, you know, do the job. And I'm sure, too, a lot of people do you know, feel bad for somebody who unfortunately is suffering from a disability. I mean, human beings are generally compassionate about other human beings, and the same goes uh, for employers. I mean, <laughs> employers are, are humans too. And when you see somebody with a disability, you know, there but for the grace of God, a lot of people feel some kind of moral obligation. And they feel good about themselves to the extent that they can make some accommodations in the workplace to enable an otherwise disabled person who might not be able to work to work. So this was going on, right? Because people with these disabilities were working. Well, what changed? Why did uh, employers who were willing to accommodate people with disabilities suddenly decide they didn't want to do it? And it was because of the Americans with Disabilities Act, because now you are required by law to make these accommodations, whether or not uh, the end result is that the investment in the accommodations pay off in terms of the, the productivity of the worker. But the problem is not only are you required to make what may be very expensive uh, you know, accommodations and having to alter things in, in your office or your business. But the employees were then empowered to sue you if they didn't like the accommodations that you made, if they didn't think they, they met the strict requirements of the law, they could sue you. In which case, now you're defending yourself from a lawsuit. You're now obligated to pay legal bills. 
In fact, you have to pay the legal bills of your employee who sues you. And if you lose the suit, then you also may have to pay damages to the employee. You may have to make these expensive alterations uh, of your you know, business. And so rather than subject themselves to that risk, employers that otherwise may have hired disabled workers basically stopped doing it. Right? They just didn't want to take the risk. So the minute somebody in a wheelchair or some other, you know, uh, disability, they, you know, they rolled in for an interview or whatever, um, you're like lawsuit. It's like they have a gigantic neon sign above their head that's flashing lawsuit, lawsuit, lawsuit. And so you're not going to hire. Small businesses don't want to get sued. You know, it's hard enough to operate a small business without having to defend yourself against a lawsuit. You know, a lot of these small businesses, the owners don't necessarily make that much money. Maybe they make $75,000, $100,000, $200,000 a year operating their business. Can they afford to spend fifty grand on legal bills to defend themselves uh, in an ADA lawsuit? No. And in fact, even if somebody continued to hire uh, the disabled or hired somebody, the minute they got sued the first time, the minute they got their first ADA lawsuit, it's like, that's it. I'll never hire somebody with a disability again because they learned their lesson because they can't afford to take the risk. Now, major companies, big employers, okay, they can afford to do it. Uh, you know, they, they can just chalk it up to the cost of doing business if they have to make these accommodations, if they have to uh, pay legal fees. You know, they, they can absorb it because they have the economies of scale. But these small employers, you know, th- this isn't cost of doing business. Legal bills can put them out of business. And that's where a lot of the jobs are created. You know, I think more jobs in America are created by small businesses uh, rather than by, by Fortune 500 businesses. Uh, so the net effect of a law that was designed to make it easier for people with disabilities to get jobs actually had the opposite effect. It made it harder for those people to get jobs. And so the labor force participation plunged. And the reason that is harder is because you increase the cost of employing people with disabilities, not only the direct cost of having to um, make the accommodations, but the, the risk of additional litigation costs. And, you know, the best way to avoid getting tangled up in a lawsuit is just don't hire people with disabilities. Now, the first thing people are going to say is, well, you can't you just get sued for that, right? If you're not hiring people with disabilities, can't somebody sue you for discriminating? And the answer is they can, but it's very difficult to prove, right? Especially if you're a small business. I mean, how many disabled workers are you supposed to employ? I mean, if you don't have any disabled workers, let's say you have five people that work for you, and none of them have a disability, I mean, that doesn't necessarily prove that you're discriminating against people with disabilities. It's very hard uh, to win a case uh, against a small employer where you've never been hired. And a lot of these attorneys, those are not the cases that they want. They don't want to sue somebody who's never employed a person. Where people generally get sued, and it doesn't just apply to the ADA, but all these employment things, it's when you do employ somebody, it's a current or former employee. Those are the ones that sue, right? They either sue you because you provide them 
with a, some, a hostile work environment. There's something going on on the job that they feel has violated their rights. So if you employ a disabled person and then you know, there's something on the job that is not up to code to accommodate them, or if somebody gets fired, right, then they can sue and they can claim you fired me because of you know, my race or my uh, sexual orientation or my, or my disability. So where employers take on the maximum risk of being sued is after they hire somebody. So just refusing to hire somebody at all is a very low risk thing to do. And so that's what employers do. They just don't hire people with disabilities. They just can't afford it and they don't want to take the legal liability. Before the ADA existed, they did it. And so a law produces exactly the opposite of what its intention was. So the obvious question that you may be thinking is, well, why hasn't it been repealed? I mean, you've seen a steadily decline in uh, employment opportunities for the disabled. Clearly, this is hurting the disabled because we've limited their ability to get jobs. We've also hurt the economy because a lot of disabled workers who might otherwise be working, who were working prior to the ADA and who could be working now but for the ADA, they're not working. So the economy has lost the benefit of their productivity, right? Instead of contributing to society, they're not working at all. They're just drawing down benefits. So clearly you have a law that has done so much damage to the very people that it was supposed to help. Why is that law on the books for 30 years? And in fact, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of coverage of the 30-year anniversary of the ADA, and all of it is going to be good. Right. This was a good thing. I mean, we 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 now we, we the disabled are no longer second class citizens. They have full rights. Right. They're going to be celebrating it. We're all going to be uh, patting ourselves on the back. Uh, how compassionate we are, how caring we are uh, that we have the ADA. And of course, if anybody like me tries to point out the, the, the actual problems, that are direct consequence of the ADA. Well, you're heartless. You don't care. You're a bad person, right? You, 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 you don't care about the disabled. And that really gets to the, the heart of the matter. The reason that they will never repeal the law is because this is how the left, this is how liberals feel good about themselves. And this is how they signal to the world how virtuous they are by showing their support for these kind of seemingly compassionate uh, legislation. Yes, how could you not care about people with disabilities? I mean, come on. I mean, they're already, you know, it's unfortunate enough that they got dealt that bad hand in life, whatever, for whatever reason, either by birth or by accident, you have somebody who's got a physical disability. How can you not care about a person like that? How can you not show some compassion and some empathy? And the way you prove that is you support the Americans with Disabilities Act. But then you have to actually ignore the consequences of that act. You have to ignore the fact that the very people that you claim to care about have actually been hurt by the legislation that you passed in the name of compassion. But they never really delve into that. You see, liberals don't care about consequences. It doesn't matter to them. They just care about intention and how they look by embracing the, um, the, the program. Look, it happens all the time. Look at uh, the minimum wage law. In particular, 
look at American Samoa. I've talked about this. In fact, I wrote about it in one of my books. But this is another great example of well-intentioned laws and the opposite effect. I was watching 60 Minutes one day, and they were doing a story on American Samoa football, right? Because there's some football players that were coming out of American Samoa. And as I'm watching it, they mention that there's a depression in Samoa, how bad the economy is. They have very high unemployment. And I'm like, well, why? What's, what's going on in American Samoa? I hadn't even heard about it, right? And, and the 60-minute story just kind of glossed over the fact that there was this big depression in American Samoa. And so I wanted to know why. And so I read up on it, and I found out that a couple years earlier, and this was in 2007, Congress passed the Fair Wage Act. Oh, that sounds good, the Fair Wage Act. And what the Fair Wage Act did is it said that all of the U.S. territories, which would include American Samoa, also Puerto Rico, right where I live, but American Samoa, that all these territories would have to bring their minimum wage up to the same level as in the United States at $7.25 an hour regardless of the fact that wages in general in in American Samoa were on a much lower scale uh, than they were in the the United States, this law demanded that uh, they have the same minimum wage law in Samoa. Now, of course, the politicians who are behind it, right, they all feel good about themselves. Oh, we don't want to exploit people. We want to give everybody the same protection. We want to make sure that the people in American Samoa uh, also get $7.25 an hour. Well, the result of this well-intentioned law was massive unemployment in Samoa. Now, you know, they didn't have to go up to 725 right away. There was, you know, gradual increases. But the first couple of increases were enough that the two largest employers on the island started shutting down and laying people off. And that was Starkist Tuna and Chicken of the Sea. The biggest employer in American Samoa was canning tuna. And as soon as they required higher wages, they had to start firing workers because they couldn't afford to pay the higher wages. Now, it's not like, you know, these tuna companies are mean people and they just don't want to pay higher wages. They, they couldn't because the customers didn't want to pay higher prices. If the tuna companies raised the prices of their tuna high enough to offset the higher minimum wage, then people would buy from their competitors because you can can tuna in other parts of the world, in other islands uh, that didn't have that minimum wage. And so they would have been at a competitive disadvantage were they to remain in American Samoa paying an inflated wage. So they had to do what they only thing they could do to maintain their businesses and stay competitive is they had to uh, fire a bunch of workers. And so that's why you had all this unemployment. But it actually had another impact. You see, when boats would take the canned tuna from Samoa to the U.S., now you had this big ship in the U.S. that needed to come back to Samoa to pick up more tuna. So on the way back, there were products that the American Samoans were importing. But the minute they were no longer sending tuna to the U.S., they didn't have the ships to come back. So now the ships had to go one way with stuff and leave empty. And so the cost of importing goods into Samoa shot up dramatically. So not only did the minimum wage put all these Samoans out of work, 
but it also dramatically increased the cost of living for even the people who didn't lose their jobs. So they decimated the entire Samoan economy. And of course, that had ripple effects and then other people lost their jobs. And the government of American Samoa, they didn't want this minimum wage. They tried to stop it. They begged uh, with congressmen not to do this, right? The people from Samoa did not want the higher minimum wage, but American politicians, they didn't give a damn what the people in Samoa actually wanted. All they cared about was how they looked to their constituents. And they didn't want to look like they were bad people by not favoring this Fair Wage Act and, uh, and the poor people in Samoa. So they were willing to sacrifice the poor people of Samoa so that they can look good and they can feel good about themselves. Now, they eventually amended the act. I mean, there was so much economic decimation in Samoa that by 2015, they they amended the Fair uh, Wage Act and they extended the time period where Samoa would have to bring its minimum wage up to 725. Or, of course, if we end up you know, raising it to 15, then they're going to have to go to 15 but they have a longer time period to get there. So that's not as terrible, but what they should have done is repealed it completely because it's done tremendous damage, but but they don't care. So again, one of the reasons that they will never repeal this law is because it it, it, it would violate everything that the left believes, the, the, the symbolism over substance. So they're willing to sacrifice the very people they claim to care about so they can maintain that illusion. Uh, 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 that they care. And so the Americans with Disabilities Act won't go away because nobody has the guts to oppose it because it looks so bad politically. The minute you try to talk against it, you're a horrible, evil person. You're one of the bad guys. So you have to just congratulate yourself on the fact that you support it and that we have this law. But there's another reason that it will never get repealed. And that is the trial lawyers. The main beneficiaries, in fact, really the only beneficiaries of the Americans with Disabilities Act are the lawyers. They have cleaned up. There is an entire cottage industry now of lawyers who work with certain uh, people with disabilities that routinely shake down and extort money from small business owners all over the country. And since these lawyers are making so much money off the ADA, right? They donate a lot of their take to the politicians, right? In campaign contributions. And so they're basically bribing these politicians to continue the ADA because that's their, their, their gravy train, their meal ticket. And where are these suits focused, right? It's not in the employment sector. Because again, as I've said, a lot of businesses just don't hire people with disabilities. So it's rare that you get a lawsuit from a disabled worker against the employer because the employers were smart enough not to hire them. You know, the only one I actually remember reading about, and I guess this was a problem because, you know, the, the place of business it was a strip club. And so just going into the strip club, you could see whether or not uh, the, the workplace accommodated the disabled because the workplace is the stage, right? And so everybody can see that. You don't have to be uh, an employee to know whether or not uh, the, the the company has complied with ADA. And I remember reading this lawsuit. I remember laughing about it. So they filed a lawsuit. I forget the name of the strip club, but 
what their their deal was or their how they marketed themselves is the strippers stripped in showers, right? So they had these big poles and then the strippers stood on top of these poles and there was a shower up there. And so they would, you know, pull the lever or whatever and the water would come down. Maybe that was kind of inspired by flash dance or something. I remember when she, you know, uh, drops the water on herself, but they were, they were strip dancing in showers. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I read this article that the strip club got sued because the the poles that the strippers stood on in order to strip under a shower, that those poles were not wheelchair accessible. Meaning if there was a stripper in a wheelchair, that stripper could not get on the top of that pole to do a dance under a shower. And I'm just thinking how ridiculous this is because if you are in a wheelchair, you're not going to be a stripper, let alone a stripper in a shower. I mean, look, I feel bad for people that are in wheelchairs, right? I mean, yeah, obviously. But when you're in wheelchairs, obviously, there's going to be some limitations on the things that you could do. And one of the things that you really can't do is be a striptease dancer. I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe there's a there's a fetish of guys out there that want to see girls stripping in wheelchairs. But, you know... Most guys want their strippers to be able to stand up. I mean, most of the thing you're doing when you're dancing striptease, you got to be standing up. You got to, you know, you can't just be in a wheelchair trying to be a stripper. Uh, And I don't even know if the lawsuit was filed by an actual stripper in a wheelchair who wanted a job. I doubt there was a woman in a wheelchair who wanted to strip on that shower. I think there was just some lawyer that happened to go to that strip club and he saw an opportunity to shake down the owner by claiming, hey, that pole isn't wheelchair accessible, right? So that was, you know, one of the suits I read. But almost all of the legal actions that have stemmed from the ADA are not about employers not accommodating their workers. It's about businesses not accommodating their customers, right? The customers, right? And even if, you know, the customers aren't paying, right? Even services that you're providing for free. This is where the real damage is being done to the U.S. economy because the ADA is dramatically driving up the cost of operating a small business, right? Small businesses now have to spend a lot of money. In order to open up, you have to spend a lot of money to make sure that you're completely compliant Uh, in case you get some disabled customers, even if you never have any disabled customers. It doesn't matter, right, whether or not you're going to have them. You have to make all these accommodations just in case. And so they're very expensive. And so the businesses, you know, it acts as a barrier to entry. If you can't afford uh, to have a ADA compliant business, then you can't start it. And of course, once you have it, now you're going to get bombarded by lawsuits. You know, even if you tried your best, to be compliant, the rules are so precise that you can easily slip up 
and you do something wrong. And that's where the lawyers are out there preying on small business owners because they send uh, their partners who have some type of disability, they go out to all these restaurants and bars and they're not going there because they want a meal. They're going there because they're looking for a lawsuit and they go there with a tape measure, right? And they want to make sure is the counter height exactly the right way or they go into the parking lot. Do they have the right number of handicapped spaces and they'll measure the size of the space because, you know, they have to be a certain size because they have to accommodate, you know, vans that people in wheelchairs might be. The whole thing is ridiculous. You know, I remember I used to go to this beach in um, California. I used it was a dog beach in Malibu off of PCH. And the, the way you got down to the beach is you had to scale down a bunch of rocks. It was like a cliff. There were no stairs, right? It didn't have to be, uh, I guess, wheelchair compliant because there was nothing there. It was just you, you had to you know, go down these rocks. And even I was a little scared sometimes uh, climbing down these rocks that I might slip, right? It was, a, it was a steep grade and it was a big drop. But what always used to piss me off is that when I got there, there was always like five different parking spaces, handicapped spaces that nobody ever parked in. And, and it wasn't a big lot to begin with. So a lot of times I would get there and I would have to park out on PCH, you know, busy street, because there was no space in the parking lot, except there was always these handicapped spaces that people were afraid to park in because it's a very expensive ticket, right? You ever get a ticket for going in a handicapped space? Those are expensive tickets. So nobody would park there. But all I was thinking is, what a dumb place for a handicapped parking space because nobody who's handicapped has a prayer of getting to that beach. If you're in a wheelchair, it is impossible for you to get to the beach. Yet they had to provide handicapped parking spaces anyway. It doesn't matter if nobody with handicaps are there, you still have to set aside these parking spaces. So you've got uh, these lawyers that are scouring the country looking for tiny violations of the ADA Act and then they file a lawsuit. And a lot of times the owners don't even fix the problem. They just pay off the lawyer and hope he goes away, right? I mean, it's just blackmail. It's just shakedown money, right? And, and that's the main reason that the law is still on the books. I mean, a really funny example. I mean, it's funny, but it's not funny. It's sad. A good friend of mine owns a lot of commercial real estate and uh, one of his uh, properties, he rents out to a Starbucks restaurant. And I, I forget if it's owned, but if it's a franchisee or it's just a corporate Starbucks. But anyway, he gets served a suit. Starbucks is being sued and he's being sued too because he's the landlord. And it's from a person who went into the Starbucks and this person was hard of hearing. That's his disability. And so they came into Starbucks and the Starbucks... They're, you know, they play music, you know, in the restaurant. So while you're there ordering your coffee or drinking your coffee, you can hear music in the background. So this guy gets in there and he asks for uh, this special hearing aid that he can wear while he's in the Starbucks so that he can hear this music while he's getting his coffee, just like all the other people who don't have a hearing disability. And the guys behind the counter said, you know, we don't have that. I'm sorry. We don't have that. Uh, that earpiece for you. And so they were sued for not having the earpiece. Apparently, if you're going to play music, you have to make sure that everybody can hear it. Even if you're not charging for the music, 
right? It's not like, you know, people that are there, they're getting coffee. They're, they're still able to sell the people with hearing disabilities coffee. They just can't hear the music in the background while they're ordering it. And now there's a lawsuit. And of course, you know, how inefficient is this to require every single restaurant to carry these hearing aids on the off chance that somebody who's hard of hearing comes in and wants to hear the music? How about if this guy takes some responsibility for himself? If you know that you're hard of hearing and it's that important that when you go into a Starbucks that you hear the music, buy yourself a hearing aid and carry it around. Don't expect every restaurant you go to to stock one just because you have some special right uh, to buy coffee. You don't. These Again, these are not rights. These are about privileges that are being bestowed on people, which then put responsibilities on other people. I mean, what about all the, the, the uh, elevators that have music? I mean, in theory, then, any, anybody with a hearing problem could just sue any building that has an elevator that has music in it on the basis of the fact they can't hear it. Now, you know, what actually happens with a lot of these uh, suits is that the way, they, the way they work is if you provide a service to anybody, then you must provide it to everybody, including people with disabilities. So if the Starbucks just decides to have no music at all, well, then that's okay, right? Because now nobody can hear it. It's just that if you let anybody hear it, you have to allow deaf people. I mean, one of the things that this has done has caused a lot of motels to, you know, fill in their swimming pools with cement because it was cheaper than making them wheelchair accessible, right? Because now all of these small motels all over the, the nation, to the extent that they have a swimming pool, they need to make that swimming pool wheelchair accessible. And which is so ridiculous because, I mean, how many times do you check into a motel do you actually use the swimming pool? I mean, I've stayed in a lot of motels over my life and not once have I ever take a swim, you know, in the pool. I've never swam in the pool. In fact, the only time I ever see anybody in a pool is their kids, right? Kids are in the swimming pools, right? So how many people in wheelchairs really want to use the, the motel swimming pool? Probably very few. But the cost of buying one of these expensive contraptions, you know, I think it's like $10,000 maybe to buy one of these things that uh, can put a wheelchair into the swimming pool or lift you out of your wheelchair. But you know what I heard in talking to one of these uh, owners one day is, you know, your insurance rates go up once you put these things in. And then what happens is kids play on them. They use them as diving boards. They get hurt. And so not only do you have to uh, pay the cost of, of putting in this wheelchair accessible contraption, but now you have higher insurance because people get injured on it. Not the people in wheelchairs. They're not even using it. It's just the kids that, that treat it like a jungle gym or something. So what ends up happening is these motels just shut down the swimming pool. And now there's no swimming pool. And if there's no swimming pool, then people with wheelchairs can't complain, right? They can't sue. Right? So we, they don't accomplish making the swimming pools accessible to people in wheelchairs. They just make them unaccessible to everybody else. That is the result. I mean, what the hell kind of victory is that? Look, what people in wheelchairs should do, if swimming in a motel pool is that important to you, right? If that's your main priority, you know, it's not the bed, it's not the shower. You just want to make sure that you have can swim in that pool. How about if you go online and you find 
the motel that has a wheelchair accessible swimming pool. And that's the one you stay in. How about that? How simple is that? You know, there will be a market for people in wheelchairs, right? Businessmen know that there are some consumers that are in wheelchairs and they will want that business. Look, I, well, I went to school in UC Berkeley. UC Berkeley was a very friendly place for people in wheelchairs. And there are people in wheelchairs all over the place. They were moving to Berkeley because they knew that all these stores and shop, they were catering to people in wheelchairs. That's how the free market works. You don't have a right to stay in every motel. You know, find the, the motel that works for you. Look, I, I have some friends who are a kosher Jews, right? Very religious Jews, and they keep kosher, right? And, and that means that the food has to be prepared a certain way. And a lot of the people who are kosher, I mean, because their parents were kosher. That's the faith. That's how they were raised. And so they're, they're observing their religion, right? Now, that means that there are not that many restaurants that people who are kosher can eat at. Now, what if the Americans with Disabilities Act applied here, or not just disabilities, or just said it was religious freedom, and they said, hey, every restaurant has to have a kosher kitchen? Why? I mean, it'd be ridiculous. How, how many people are kosher? Not that many. But what people who do do, who are kosher, they know which restaurants have kosher kitchens, and, and that's where they go. It's no big deal, right? Or think about people that have really big feet. Right? Let's say you're a guy and you got a size 14 shoe. You're just a big guy with a big foot. Right? Now, do you expect that every time you go into a shoe store, they're going to have every shoe in a size 14? Why? I mean, the shoe stores don't want to stock those sizes because they hardly ever sell them. What do they want all that inventory for? Just on the off chance that Bigfoot happens to walk into their store. Right? So you can't expect every shoe store. So you know what you do? You go to the big and tall places. There are stores that specialize in large sizes or extra small sizes. People go there. You can't say just because I have big feet, every shoe store in America has to stock size 14 just in case I decide to come in. You don't have that right. Just because somebody opens up a store, you don't have a right to go there. It's not your store. It's their store. They can serve whatever market they want. And yes, I feel badly if people are in wheelchairs, but that doesn't mean that every single business everywhere in the country has to spend all sorts of money just in case somebody with a disability happens to walk in or roll in to that store. That is nonsense. And of course, it's not just the business owners that get stuck with the bill of being ADA compliant. It's all the customers, because at the end of the day, the businesses have to charge their customers more money, right? Most of whom have no disabilities, but now they're going to be financially disabled because all of the products, all of the goods and services that are now being sold are going to be sold at a higher price because the owner now has to recoup the cost of complying with ADA, even if none of his customers are actually disabled. You know, in the example that I gave about, you know, Bigfoot with the size 14 shoe, I mean, what if that was considered a disability? If having a really big foot was a disability and all the shoe stores had to stock all these big sizes, right? Who do you think would pay for that, right? If there's not a lot of people that are actually buying the size 14 shoe, you know who's going to have to pay for it? 
the guy that's buying size nine or size 10. Because if you're going to force shoe stores to stack this big inventory of shoes that nobody is buying, but they have to buy the shoes anyway, well, how do they make up for the cost? What they have to do is charge higher prices on the shoes that are being sold. So at the end of the day, what happens is nobody is really buying these big shoes. They're just sitting there. But all the normal size shoes are having to sell at higher prices because they, that's the only way the guy who owns the shoe store can recoup the cost of being compliant with this law that requires him to sell shoes that nobody's buying. So all of these restaurants and bars and coffee shops and motels and miniature golf courses, if they haven't been shut down, or any of these businesses that have to make all of these investments in order to be wheelchair compliant, and then who have to pay legal bills by frivolous lawsuits that are filed uh, by lawyers whose only goal is a lawsuit. There's no actual legitimate handicapped customer. There's just a lawyer uh, utilizing a handicapped individual to try to generate a lawsuit. So all of those costs, the costs to, you know, build out the ADA compliant facility and to pay all the lawyers the shakedown money. The end of the day, it's the customers of those businesses who end up paying the cost in the form of higher prices. I read another article about all these miniature golf courses around the country that are shutting down. And the reason they're shutting down is because they couldn't make them wheelchair accessible. And so because they couldn't make them wheelchair accessible, they had to shut it down. So again, they didn't accomplish allowing people in wheelchairs to play miniature golf. They just made sure that nobody played miniature golf. And that supposedly represents success, right? It's an abject failure, but that's success in the eyes of government. You know, one of the more recent examples of this is this lawsuit that was just filed against, I think, Pornhub or YouPorn by somebody who was deaf or hard of hearing. And they're suing because they can't hear what the porn actors are saying in the movies. I mean, obviously, I mean, A, I mean, no one really gives a damn what they're saying. I mean, they don't really have scripts, I don't think. Um, and a lot of it is probably just moaning and, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, so, I mean, you can pretty much figure out what they're saying. But the, the guy was suing because I guess they didn't have closed caption, right? He wanted to see... And I guess if you had the closed caption, I mean, most people would probably turn it off because it's probably getting in the way of what they want to see. They don't want to see the, the, the writing. They want to see the, the, the actor or actress. Um, but anyway, they filed this lawsuit. I mean, look, again, how many websites are out there? Do people who are hard of hearing have a constitutional right to go to any porn website they want and expect it to be closed captioned? Especially when they're not even charging. I mean, a lot of these sites are free. So basically what they're saying is if you're going to provide somebody with free porn, you also have to provide them with free subtitles. Otherwise, you're going to get sued. But sued for what? You're not even charging any money. But, you know, I'm sure there are porn sites out there that have closed caption. Just go to those. It's the same stuff. What difference does it make? Every single uh, porn site doesn't have to have closed captions. Just find the ones that do and just watch those, right? How simple is that? But no, now there is a lawsuit. You know, nobody is being injured 
by the fact that every porn site doesn't have subtitles because there are some that do. You know, it, it, it also reminds me of the, you know, the, the lawsuit. This isn't ADA related. This is uh, uh, because of sexual orientation. But the, uh, the case where this uh, religious man was sued because he didn't want to bake a gay wedding cake. And the only reason he knew it was going to be a gay wedding cake was because the couple wanted him to put the, the two male figures on the cake, right? Obviously, they could have just put those figures on themselves after it was done, but they made a point of telling the guy that they, you know, this was for a gay wedding and they wanted these gay figures on the top of the cake. And this guy, who was a religious baker, basically said, you know, um, I'm very religious. I just don't think that this is right. I think it's a sin, and I would prefer not to bake a cake knowing that the cake is going to be part of a ceremony with which I oppose. And so the guys immediately sued. Now, the point is, were the, were the, the gay couple really inconvenienced at all by this? No. In fact, they probably called 100 bakers, maybe more, to find the one baker that wouldn't bake them the cake. I mean, after all, if you are a baker, right, you're in the business of baking cakes, a wedding cake is like the holy grail of cakes. I mean, you're like waiting for a wedding cake, right? That's like the jackpot, right? I mean, you know, it's a big cake. I'm sure these things are very expensive, right? So like, ka-ching, I got a wedding cake order. I'm sure that this baker was very disappointed in having to turn down a wedding cake. But his religious convictions were so strong that he was willing to turn down the money because, you know, of his own beliefs. And which is fine because they could have had any one of hundreds and hundreds of other bakers baking the cake. In fact, I'm sure that a lot of other religious bakers, you know, who objected to gay weddings didn't object to getting paid to bake the cake and they would have done it anyway. Right. But most bakers wouldn't even be a problem. They had to go out of their way to find a baker who wouldn't bake it and then file a lawsuit. You know, this whole thing is is a is a shakedown. Just because somebody has a bakery, you don't have a right to force them to bake you a cake. Right. Slavery was abolished. Right. The 13th Amendment abolished slavery. If you're going to force somebody to bake you a cake against their will, isn't that involuntary servitude? Right? No, you can't force somebody to do something that they don't want to do. And that's really what the Americans with Disability Act boils down to, is you're, you're trying to force businesses to do things against their will. You're forcing them to do things that they don't want to do. Look, you can decide if you want to open up a business and you want to cater to people with disabilities, then that's what you do. If you don't want to cater to people with disabilities, then you don't have to. It is a free competitive marketplace. If you want to be the hotel that has a wheelchair accessible swimming pool, then you go after that market and you advertise online. You're in a wheelchair. You want to swim? I got your pool right right there on the Internet. You know, if you want to you want to be a kosher restaurant, you advertise. You want to stock size 14 shoes? You do it right. This is a free market. Yes. Is it a little bit inconvenient? If you're in a wheelchair and you can't go to every single restaurant, yes, that's life, right? Life isn't fair, right? You can't always get everything, but you have to accommodate, right? Because other people have rights too, right? And you can't force other people to just accommodate you. Like this guy uh, with the hearing problem. 
accommodate yourself. You buy the hearing aid. Don't make every single bar and restaurant that you may want to go to buy a hearing aid just to accommodate you who may or may never even come there. And of course, if you're the only person that wants it, who knows how much this thing costs? I mean, they may never sell you enough coffee to recoup the cost. And especially since the only reason that that guy went into the Starbucks was to look for a lawsuit. There's no way he went in there for a cup of coffee. He went in there to stir up a lawsuit. Now, I know a lot of people are going to be thinking, you know, but Peter, but isn't it just like uh, other civil rights as in, you know, disability? Isn't it like, you know, uh, somebody who's black or somebody who's homosexual or a woman? Isn't it all about equal rights? And, you know, isn't it uh, isn't it the same? And I, I would concede that it is it is the same. But I think that people have a constitutional right to discriminate for any reason. So that would include uh, race and sexual orientation and gender and age right, and disabilities. I think all of these laws which make private discrimination illegal are wrong. And it's not because I'm in favor of racism or discrimination based on those type of characteristics that are irrelevant uh, to the job. I'm not in favor of it. I'm just in favor of freedom, right? There's a lot of things that people say that I am opposed to, but I don't oppose their right to say it. I believe in free speech. And believing in free speech means that you allow people to say things that you don't agree with, that you find offensive, right? Anybody can defend free speech when the people who are speaking are saying what you agree with. I mean, that's no big deal to let people say things that you agree with. The test of whether or not you believe in free speech is whether or not you believe in the freedom of people to say things that you disagree with, things that offend you. And the same thing goes for conduct or association. If you believe that people are free, then people are free to discriminate. You don't have a right not to be discriminated against, but you do have a right to discriminate. But it's when the government comes in and passes all these laws making discrimination illegal uh, that we actually end up having a lot more of it, like the case with the ADA. Because they made it illegal to discriminate against the disabled by forcing employers to accommodate them, now far fewer employers are willing to hire the disabled, and we ended up destroying job opportunities for the disabled. The this, this, this same thing happens uh, with everybody that's protected. Right? A lot of African-Americans are not getting hired because employers are afraid of getting sued uh, based on discrimination for race. Right? This, this is happening across the board. Women now are not getting hired, I think, because people don't want to get sued. And in fact, what's happening right now with Black Lives Matter, I bet that this is going to have an even more chilling effect on the willingness of small businesses, especially if they're white-owned businesses, to hire African-Americans because the the narrative now is that everybody's a racist, right? Everybody believes that everybody in America is racist and all the problems that uh, anybody has if they're black uh, are from racism. So I bet today the chances are that if you happen to have to fire an employee who's black, I bet the chances that you get sued for some racially based termination are much higher right now than they've ever been. Because everybody is now predisposed to assume, oh, I got fired. It must be because I'm black, because I've been told that everybody is a racist and I just got fired and my boss must be a racist or I didn't get promoted. It must be because of racism or I'm not getting paid as much as this other guy. It must be because of racism. So since the probability now of getting sued 
by an African-American is probably so much greater than the risks are so much greater. That means the cost of employing African-Americans has just gone way up. And so fewer of them are going to be able to find jobs. It's not because people are racist. It's because they don't want to get sued. It's lawyers they don't like, not African-Americans. And they don't care what color the lawyer is. The problem is the color of the money that they're going to have to pay the lawyer. And that's green and they can't afford it. So it's mitigating legal risks and minimizing costs that result in the discrimination, not racism. But again, you know, the main reason that I am opposed to these laws is not because of the economic damage they do. I mean, that's another reason that I am opposed. I am opposed to these laws because they backfire and hurt the very people that they were supposed to help. But I'm opposed to them on the moral high ground of individual liberty and individual freedom, right? Americans uh, don't have the right not to be discriminated against, right? You, you have a right to associate with who you want. Uh, you have, you know, the right to employ who you want. You start a business, you take all the risks. That's your business. Um, if you, you know, you have the right to exclude people if you want to, based on whatever criteria. All of this started with the um, Civil Rights Act of 1964, And that particular act did a lot of good, but it also did a lot of bad. People forget that. And a lot of people don't realize, too, that the reason that the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was passed is because Republicans supported it. It was the Democrats that were against it because you had a lot of racist Democrats that wanted to keep the Jim Crow laws on the books. And you had a lot of Republicans who wanted to get rid of them. But not all the Republicans supported the uh, Civil Rights Act. People like Barry Goldwater were against it. Uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, you know, I know Rand Paul got into trouble when he first ran from Senate because they dug up uh, some of his uh, old writings where he was pointing out the problems he had with the Civil Rights Act of 1964. That act had good features and bad features. The best part about it was that it made it illegal for the governments to mandate discrimination, right? Institutional discrimination was outlawed. And there was that was a great thing. It was long overdue. See, what was happening is southern states were requiring racially based discrimination. They were forcing businesses to discriminate. The governments were the ones that were setting up, you know, white drinking fountains, black drinking fountains. It was government that said blacks ride in the back of the box. It was governments telling restaurants owners, you have to have white bathrooms, black bathrooms. You have to separate uh, black customers from white customers. The restaurant owners, most of them didn't want to do that. That's why the government had to pass laws. They had to force businesses to discriminate that otherwise wouldn't have done it. And that's not right. The government shouldn't be able to force you to discriminate. Just like I said, you, you, you have a right to discriminate, but you can't be told that you must discriminate if you don't want to. So those laws were struck down. And also they made it illegal for government to discriminate. And they shouldn't be able to because government is not subjected to the free market forces that would otherwise punish people for discriminating because it's government. And of course, Everybody is being taxed, and so everybody has to be treated equally by government. But everybody doesn't have to be treated equally by a small business owner. That small business owner can choose who he wants to do business with and who he doesn't, and who he wants to employ and who he doesn't, just like as a consumer. 
You can decide which businesses you want to go to and which businesses you don't want to. As an employee, you can decide which businesses you want to work for and which businesses you don't. The problem with the Civil Rights Act was that it also made it illegal for private citizens to discriminate, private businesses to discriminate. And that not only did that open up a powder keg of lawsuits that backfired and caused people to discriminate that wouldn't. And then you started to reward discrimination because employers who discriminated had less lawsuits than those who didn't. People who weren't discriminating got you know, sued more often than people who just avoided hiring the people who could sue them. Right. So the government created a perverse financial incentive for people who otherwise would not discriminate to start discriminating. But it really just boils down to individual rights. If you're a free person, you are free to make whatever choices that you want. And, you know, it's interesting because when it comes to social relationships, everybody would agree with me, right? Nobody believes that individuals should be forced to be, you know, equal opportunity with all of their interpersonal relationships. Take the example of a woman, right? Women are out and they're, you know, women are generally uh, pursued by men. Men ask out women and then the women decide uh, which invitations they want to accept, right? Now, Nobody would believe that they have to be equal opportunity daters, that they have to give all guys an equal opportunity to take them out on a date, right? That they can't discriminate uh, among their suitors, right? I mean, who, who would say that? I mean, what if they were going to pass a law that said, look, women, you can't discriminate uh, based on, you know, on height, right? You, you got to give short guys a chance to date you. You just can't date tall men. Or what about fat guys, you just can't look for guys that are physically fit. You got to give out of shape, overweight guys a chance, right? Or what about ugly guys? You can't discriminate based on physical characteristics. Don't just look for the handsome guy. You know, you got to give the ugly guys a shot, right? But then what about these other characteristics? What about age discrimination? If you're a 25-year-old woman and an 80-year-old guy wants to go out with you, can you turn him down? I mean, do you have to give the old guy a shot at going out with you? You know what? Can't you discriminate against people who are too old? I mean, go on these dating sites. Look at how specific a lot of these women are, you know, with what their criteria is. They're discriminating against everybody. I mean, what if what if the woman is a Christian and she doesn't want to date Jews, right? She just wants, uh, you know, maybe she's going to get married. She wants to have her kids raised, uh, you know, in a Christian home. Sure, she can discriminate based on um, religion. I mean, she could she can discriminate. I don't want to date any unemployed guys, right? She, certainly she could discriminate against guys with disabilities. Does she have to give people in wheelchairs a chance to date her or somebody who's blind or whatever disability? No, she could say, look, I don't want to date guys with disabilities. I don't want to deal with that, right? I mean, that's another complication I don't want. She could say no guys with disabilities. I mean, does she have to uh, give women a chance, right? Could she, if some lesbian wants to go out with her, does she have to do it? I mean, could she discriminate based on sexual orientation? Based on, of course she can, Right. She could do all this. Right. It's kind of it'd be ridiculous for me to assume that she can't make these uh, discriminations in her personal life. Well, if a woman has the right to be as picky as she wants when it comes to selecting her dates and she can discriminate based on any characteristics she wants and nobody can sue her who is denied the opportunity to take her out on a date. Right. Then why does she lose those rights? if she decides to start a business, right? It's the same concept. She doesn't lose her rights if you open up a business. You retain your rights. 
So if she wants to hire workers based on the same criteria that she's, you know, accepting dates, she can do it if she wants to. Now, will she? Probably not. Not if she wants to stay in business. If all she is doing is hiring the tall, dark and handsome guys because they're eye candy, you know, maybe she's turning down a lot of very competent, older, less attractive, fat guys, right, who maybe would do a better job. And if she's not hiring those guys, her competitor is hiring those guys and she's not going to stay in business. Her products won't be as good. Her prices are going to be higher. So she is going to hire those people anyway, right? Even if she'd prefer to have tall, dark, and handsome guys, she knows that they're not the best ones for the job, maybe. She's going to hire the best for the job. The same thing happens. You know, if she wouldn't date an African-American, right? That doesn't mean she's not going to hire an African-American if the African-American is the best guy for the job, right? It's funny how the left, you know, they think business owners, you know, they know they're really greedy, but they also assume they're racist. But doesn't their greed trump their racism? And that's what happens, right? You're going to hire the best person for the job regardless of whether they have characteristics that you don't like because the most important characteristic is that they're going to help you make more money. And what if she, you know, wants to open up a restaurant, right? What if she, you know, what if she wants to discriminate against who her customers can be, right? What if she wants to have the same criteria again for her dating? Well, then she's going to limit her market, right? If she doesn't want any short guys, if she doesn't want any old guys, she doesn't want any ugly guys, if she doesn't want any people with disabilities coming to a restaurant, she is limiting her marketplace, right? Most entrepreneurs want to cast the widest net possible if they can. Even if they do harbor some prejudices, they don't care because they're more concerned about making money than their own prejudices. But, you know, a lot of people still think, you know, if it wasn't for the Civil Rights Act of 1964, you know, we would still have whites-only uh, restaurants. No way. There's no way that would happen. I mean, maybe it's possible in some real remote location there might be enough racists in a community that you could support a business like that. But who cares? I mean, look, I'm Jewish, right? And at one time in this country, there was a lot of overt anti-Semitism. I mean, there were a lot of places that Jews couldn't go. There were a lot of clubs that were restricted. People, you know, you couldn't join a club. In certain communities, you couldn't buy a house if you were Jewish. I mean, one of the reasons that you have all these Jewish banks, right, Solomon Brothers, Lehman Brothers, Goldman Sachs, a lot of these firms, these old guard firms, wouldn't hire Jews. So they had to go start their own firms. Uh, but, you know, eventually, a lot of those barriers broke down. But, look, I've got no problem. If there is an anti-Semite out there and he wants to put out a sign in front of his restaurant that says no Jews, I'm fine with that. I got no problem with that. That's his right to do that. And if somebody wants to eat in that restaurant, they can eat there. I don't care. You know, and in fact, as far as I'm concerned, if there's an anti-Semite who hangs a sign out in front of his restaurant that says no Jews allowed, he's done me a favor. Because if he didn't have that sign, I might actually eat in that restaurant. I wouldn't know that the owner was an anti-Semite. And I would be giving my business to somebody who doesn't like Jews. Why do I want to do that? I like it if the anti-Semites identify themselves so I know where they are so I can avoid eating in their restaurants. And 
if some people want to eat in those restaurants, if there are some other anti-Semites that want to eat in that restaurant, great. Then they're not going to be eating in the restaurants where I'm eating. And so I don't have to be around them. If they all want to congregate in one place, that's fine with me. Why do I care? There are plenty of restaurants that will allow Jews, and that's where I'm going to eat. I don't have a right to eat at every restaurant I want. You know, if somebody doesn't want me there, why should I force him? And in fact, you know, why would I even want to eat in a restaurant if the if it if it's owned by an anti-Semite and he knows I'm Jewish? What if what if they what if they spit in my food? What if they? I mean, why would I want to take a chance? I'm happy. Like that's why when these guys want to force somebody to bake you a cake, you know, I would be scared to eat that cake if I had to force somebody to bake it for me. Who knows what they might put in it, right? So it doesn't matter to me. Look, if somebody had a restaurant and it was like whites only. Even though I'm white, I wouldn't eat at that restaurant either, right? Even though I'm allowed to eat there, why would I want to? If a guy is such a racist that he only wants to serve whites, then he's not going to serve me. I'm going someplace else. I don't like that, right? That's my choice. It's his choice to decide that he wants to limit his customers to white people, but it's my choice if I don't want to patronize a restaurant that's owned by a bigot, a racist. I'm not going to eat there. Now, if there's some other racist that like, yeah, I'm going to eat at that restaurant, let them do it. That's life. You know, you've got to be tolerant. That's the craziest thing about the left is they want to pretend that they're so tolerant, but they're completely intolerant because they don't tolerate intolerance. You have to tolerate intolerance. If other people want to be discriminating or if they want to be racist, they can do it. Just live and let live. You just have to overcome those things and realize that the vast majority of people who are running businesses care more about money, even if they are racist. Uh, they care about the bottom line. Uh, they, they, it, the customer is always right, right? I mean, that, that's the beauty of capitalism is that the customer is in charge, right? Because everybody wants the customer's money, so everybody has to cater to the customer's need. You know, one of the funny things, though, is this whole uh, stuff is going full circle now because now you have the transgendered uh, women or guys that were guys, but now they're women. And now they want to compete in women's sports. And of course, they're they're kicking butt. They're winning all the medals because the women can't compete with these guys, because even though they're saying they're women, biologically, they're men. And so they still have a lot of the uh, strength advantages that men have over women. So now they're kind of in a box uh, because First, they have all these women's sports because women can't compete with men. That's why they have women's sports, because women aren't going to make the men's basketball team. They're not going to make the men's track team. They're not going to be able to compete in men's tennis or men's golf. They just can't do it. So the only way they can have professional sports is if they're segregated. If you separate the men from the women and then you let the men compete against the men and, and the women compete against the women. But now if you allow the men to compete against the women, you destroy the whole concept of women's sports. Because now any guy could just claim he's a woman and now you can compete with the women and have an unfair advantage <laughs> because physically men are just stronger and, and, and faster than women. I mean, that's just you know, biology, it's anatomy, nothing you can do about it. That's just the life. But it's interesting now they're starting to eat each other because now some women are, are trying to turn on the uh, LBGT community that is demanding uh, this type of a combination, which defeats the whole purpose of what a lot of the women fought for in the first place. Now, there are a lot of people, though, that kind of try to draw a distinction between private conduct, like who you choose to date, and 
uh, your conduct once you decide to open up a business, right? That somehow uh, people have a, a special right to work for somebody, but they don't have the same right to to date them, right? And maybe it's because they say it's, um, you know, it's, it's not as personal. Well, look, first of all, there are a lot of things uh, where you're employing people or people are employed. What if I'm a, a masseuse and I don't want to massage men or I don't want to massage women? I know a lot of uh, guys don't want to get massaged by other guys. They don't want to hire a male masseuse. They want to hire a female masseuse. I mean, there is an employment and you're discriminating uh, based on, on gender. You know, obviously, too, when I talk about dating, well, what about prostitution, right? What about when people are selling their services? What if I am a, a male prostitute and a guy wants to hire me? But what if I'm straight? What if I only want to accept female clients? Can some gay guy sue me because I'm not having sex with him, too? After all, because I'm having sex for money, uh, therefore I'm in business. And how can I discriminate against him just because he happens to be a guy, right? So you can see that sometimes businesses can involve personal interaction the same way that dating can. But in theory, right, based on these laws, if you are, uh, and of course, prostitution is illegal in most places, but there are some areas of the country where it's legal. And so in theory, uh, you could be sued if you refuse service uh, to somebody based on, on gender. But I don't make a distinction uh, between dating somebody and employing them. I mean, employing people are still personal relationships, especially if you're a small business and, you know, it's a more intimate setting. You have a few people that work for you. Sometimes you're working long hours. I mean, sometimes, you know, you have to travel for business. I mean, there's a lot of things. I mean, people should be able to decide who they want to work with. And I don't, you know, whatever criteria they want to use, that's their decision. That's their choice. It's, it's their business. And you can't claim that you have a right. I know they're saying, well, but you're denying somebody an, an opportunity. How can you deny them something that they never had? If you are starting a business, you are creating the opportunity, right? The opportunity to work at a business didn't exist until you yourself created the business. So if you're going to create opportunities, you can decide for whom those opportunities are going to be available. You're, you know, because you're the one that brought them into existence, right? They're, they're not there in nature. And if you set up a business, you could decide, this is who my clients are going to be. Look, you know, you've got all kinds of publications that cater to various genders and various ethnic groups. Is there anything wrong with that? No, because there's a market for that. And they're trying to uh, target their business to a particular market. Everybody has a right to do that. You don't have the right to force somebody to comply with your will, right? People don't exist to serve you, to benefit you, right? You know, in the uh, Declaration of Independence, right, we have Americans have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's the pursuit of happiness that you have a right to, which is an amazing thing that America was really founded on the idea of happiness and your right to pursue happiness, but what the framers did not believe in was that you had a right to be happy. Happiness is up to you. You have to make your own happiness. The government can't deny you the pursuit of your happiness, but the government is not responsible for providing it. And nor can the power of government be used to force others to help provide you with happiness. 
right? And that happiness would include employment opportunities or the opportunity to patronize a business, right? So you have to pursue your own happiness and the irony of it all, this is the unfortunate irony of it, is by trying to turn privileges into rights and by trying to empower so many supposed victims to be able to sue people who are not providing them with the accommodations to which they believe they're entitled, all of this has backfired. Which brings me back to the point of the podcast, which is the Americans with Disabilities Act, 30 years of harm, 30 years of damage where the people who have been hurt the most are the disabled people who are the very intended beneficiaries of the law. And like so many government laws, it has backfired and it has achieved the opposite of its intended purpose. And like all government laws, the real winners are the lawyers who are cleaning up, who are making a fortune, shaking down and harassing business owners all over the country of all races and creeds and sexual orientations. Lawyers are equal opportunity sewers. They will sue anybody if they think they can make a buck. Anyway, that's it. Uh, hopefully this podcast convinced some people who used to support the ADA uh, to now oppose it. Also, if you want a little bit more in-depth uh, explanation of how these anti-discrimination laws backfire and end up uh, causing uh, more discrimination uh, than the free market would, would allow, watch my YouTube video, uh, Capitalism Punishes Discrimination, Government Rewards It. If you're listening on YouTube, make sure and subscribe and then turn that notification on so that you never miss an episode. Also, be sure and hit the like button and leave a comment too. I read the comments and I try to reply to as many as I can, but the important thing is that YouTube's algorithm is far more likely to suggest my videos to other people when they see a lot of people liking and interacting in the comments section. Of course, you can also listen to my podcast on shiftradio.com and all the popular podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. So no matter where you listen, you can also help spread the word by rating and reviewing The Peter Schiff Show on Apple Podcasts. We now have close to 5,000 reviews. They're mostly five stars, but some people that don't like me, you know, throw in some one stars. The total combined rating right now is 4.8. Uh, so maybe we can get it up to 4.9. If you like the show, make sure and like it and, and add a comment and put a five-star review on there. Hey, by the way, the podcast has climbed up the charts recently, thanks obviously to Joe Rogan. I'm now up to number two in the categories of business and in the subcategory of investments. The only guy who's beating me is Dave Ramsey. And Dave's gonna be tough to beat, but if you help me spread the word and you rate and review and you like and you comment and you tell your friends, then maybe I, I, I can beat Dave. Anyway, thanks for the help. Keep on listening. Bye for now. 